0: Well, good morning, everyone, and to all the moms out there. Happy Mother's Day. Um, uh, today's message, I think is something that uh, you as moms and um, mothers think about and know and understand. I think it's a really important message for all of us, but I think sometimes you you as moms understand this really well. So I'm excited to dive into this. Uh, for those who haven't been here over the last couple of weeks, Uh, Like Rebecca said, we're doing a series called, Jesus Called It a Kingdom, and the reason we're calling it that is because whenever Jesus seemed to speak about what Christianity looked like, whenever Jesus seemed to speak about what it looked like to accept His grace and follow Him and trust Him, He seemed to call it a kingdom. That's, That's just the language that He used, what it looked like to follow Him, He called it a kingdom, and I, I kind of like that he did that. I think it's really cool that he did that because he gave us a lens to look at Christianity through. Whether you're a Christian or not, he kind of gave this picture that you can kind of look at Christianity and, and, and ask some questions about, like, like, is this his kingdom? And the reason I think that's important is because when you look at Christianity in our world today, there are all these different types and versions of Christianity that you look at. There's, there's a, some, sometimes very political versions of Christianity, There's sometimes very liberal versions of Christianity. There's sometimes very judgmental versions of Christianity. There's sometimes very super moralistic versions of Christianity that means that you have to do stuff and be stuff in order to even be accepted in. And if you struggle to live up to these certain things, then you're judged and not accepted and not even seen but there's all these different types of Christianity. There's, there's sometimes even progressive versions of Christianity where, where Jesus Christ is not even needed to be the foundation of this thing called Christianity. Um, it's, it's interesting. But there are, there are a whole bunch of versions of Christianity. And one of the versions of Christianity that seems to seep into all of these versions is a very self-centered version of Christianity. Very self-centered. Uh, and it seems like sometimes a self-centered version of Christianity sort of uses the message of Jesus or uses the power of church leadership in a self-aggrandizing way. And so the reality that Jesus called it a kingdom or more specifically, that Jesus called it the kingdom of God, um, gives us a really good way to to look at it, because if you look at it through that lens, it provides an easy question to ask whenever you bump into a version of Christianity that doesn't seem like Jesus at all. And the question we can ask when we bump into a version of Christianity that doesn't feel like Jesus is, is this his kingdom, (laughs) or is this someone else's? Is this his kingdom? That's why I like that language. Is this his kingdom, like, really? And maybe even more important, it provides us a question. As Christians, as a church, it provides a question for us as we do things. And as we talk and as we relate to people, we can ask the question of ourselves, whose kingdom am I trying to build here? His or mine? Am I trying to build mine or am I trying to build God's? Especially, you know, I think it's a very, very revealing lens to look at things, especially when you, when you look at how Jesus described his kingdom. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at a very specific thing that Jesus said that talked about what I think and what I want to call the culture of his kingdom. What is the culture of his kingdom? When Jesus spoke about what the culture of his kingdom is, He spoke about something very specific and it's something that has impacted, if you're a Christian, it has impacted you. Even if you're not a Christian, it has impacted this world. But when we allow this culture, if you're a Christian, when you allow this culture to impact and define who you are, it has the power to impact and affect people around you and around us so beautifully because we're living out the culture of His So for the next few minutes, what I want to do is I would like to explore what the culture of his kingdom looks like, what it is, what it feels like. And then if you're a Christian, what I'm going to do, if you see yourself as someone who's in his kingdom, who's surrendered to his rule, who, who wants to follow him, then I'd like to actually, at the end of this, I'm going to get very practical and I'm going to invite us to actually do it. And, and, and maybe even challenge us if we're Christians, if you're in that space, if you see yourself as someone who's in his kingdom, I'm going to invite us and challenge us to actually live this culture that he describes as the culture of his kingdom. All right, so what is the culture of the kingdom of God that Jesus always talked about? In Matthew chapter 20, we we find a conversation where Jesus very, very clearly describes this culture, and it happens right after Jesus describes what he's about to do, and the most difficult thing in his life, and we're going to start in verse 17. Matthew chapter 20, verse 17, it says this, now Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, and this was actually the last time that he was going to head to Jerusalem, because this is around a week before he gets arrested and crucified. So, so, so this is a, like an ominous moment for him. I think as he's walking towards Jerusalem, he's feeling it. And on the way, he, he took the 12, his closest disciples, aside and said to them, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and they will condemn him to death. They will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And on the third day, he will be raised to life. So as they're walking towards Jerusalem, Jesus is thinking about what's about to happen. And it's the the hardest moment of his life that's about to come up. He's thinking about the central act of selfless sacrifice. I mean, he didn't do that for his own benefit at all. He did this for the benefit of everyone else. And it's the most selfless thing that anyone in this world has ever done. And it's in that context, and this is crazy. You see what happens next. It's in that context, Jesus is feeling this, that that his disciples come along and they ask him a really crazy question. And you're like, what on earth are you talking about that right now? It's in that moment of description where he's talking about the most selfless act possible that their hearts are revealed. And it's not that flattering. So let's see what happens. Jesus just said this in verse 20. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons, James and John, no doubt they had said, hey, mom, go ask Jesus this. The mother of Zebedee's sons, James and John, they came, she came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favor of him. Now, 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 let me just point out, kneeling down is kingdom language, right? You kneel before a king. And usually when you kneel, you kneel in order to surrender. You kneel in order to pledge allegiance. You kneel in order to say, you are king and I'm not. But what's interesting is that this, leading, this, this kneeling didn't lead to surrender. It led to her asking a favor on behalf of her sons. So she kneels, kingdom language, but, but she doesn't kneel to, to, to surrender, she kneels to ask him to do something. In other words, she didn't kneel in order to say, I'm here to serve you and do your will. She knelt in order to say, will you serve me and will you do my will? She knelt down. And asked him a favor, which is just—it's just interesting if you look at it like that. And Jesus, in his grace, and because he's so kind, and because he's so selfless, in the moment of his greatest need—I mean, it was right after he said, "I'm about to die, I'm about to get flogged"—and she comes and she kneels with the other, but the boy sitting beside her kneels and says, "Hey, will you do me something? I know this whole thing about you dying and stuff, and I, I understand, but will you do me something? It's a, just, just a..." It's just interesting, and in Jesus' most amazing humility and kindness and selflessness, look what he says, verse 21, what is it you want? Right in the midst of that moment, that's who he is. He's thinking, okay, what do you need? I'm about to die. What do you need? It's incredible, and it shows what what kind of king he is, and it gives us a glimpse into the culture of the king of this kingdom, in the midst of his greatest need. What do you need? What do you want? It's incredible, it's incredible. And then look what she she asks. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. I I know know you're about to die. (laughs) But hey, I wanna make sure my sons have what they need. I wanna make sure that they Their lives are moved forward. They saw him as a king, but what's interesting is they they didn't necessarily in that moment see him as a king that could be trusted, surrendered to, and followed. Rather, they saw him as a king, as as someone who has power, and they saw the opportunity to use the power of that king to further their own selves and to further their own little kingdoms. And and this question that she asked on behalf of her sons revealed a very self-centered especially in that moment when Jesus (laughs) has just said, I'm about to be flogged, in that moment revealed a very self-centered reality in their hearts. They didn't even consider what he had just said. They wanted to use his power and use his authority to benefit themselves. They were so concerned about their own kingdoms in that moment that they weren't even concerned about his. And I think this is an important thing to see in Jesus' closest followers, and here's why. Because I think that's a picture of my heart. I think this is a picture of how we, and maybe it's just me, I don't think so, because I see it all over, but I think it's a picture of how we as Christians sometimes understand or see the kingdom of God. You see, I think we sometimes see it as something to use, something to gain from rather than surrender to. We sometimes enter the kingdom of God or or sometimes come to God in order to get something from him rather than surrender to the king of the kingdom. She came and knelt down as as a show of surrender, will you do me a favor? The reason I'm kneeling is not for you, the reason I'm kneeling is for me. And sometimes we do that. I know I have done that. I know I've done that a bunch. I want God to do stuff for me and use his power to build my kingdom, protect my kingdom, grow my kingdom, Now I don't use that language. I don't like walk around talking about my kingdom. That would be weird, But, but that's what I'm doing. You know, that's, that's kind of what happens, and I think this little interaction between Jesus and his followers reveals something about our human hearts that is so important to recognize and so important to admit, I think, that while Jesus is the most self-sacrificing person that has ever lived, and he was always concerned with those around him, that's who he is, we as humans somehow seem to be defined by the self-centered, self-protecting, self-motivated heart that impacts everything we do, even in that moment when Jesus talks about his suffering. I think this interaction is so important for us to see. So so she asks, and James and John are standing there kind of awkwardly, Mom, will you ask this for us? Moms are amazing, they'll even do that. (laughs) And, And the interaction goes on and Jesus tells them, guys, Those seats aren't for me to give. In fact, that's not even how we think about life in the kingdom. And then he he begins to explain what the culture of his kingdom is. But just before he explains it, another thing happens. In verse 24, we see that when the 10 heard about this, they were indignant. Now, the 10 were the other 10 disciples. These were the two. that were indignant with the two brothers. Let me ask you why you think they were indignant. My guess is because they got to Jesus first. They wanted those seats. They wanted that power. They wanted that... Furthering, they want, and, and whenever we see someone else building their kingdom, it irritates us. Do you know why? Because they're building their kingdom. I want to build mine. And if their kingdom impacts my kingdom, I don't, I'm irritated. I'm indignant. And that's what these guys were doing. And so Jesus sees all this happening, and he calls them together, and he starts to explain what the culture of his kingdom is. He says this in verse 25. Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. In other words, that's again kingdom language. They lord it over. Rulers of the Gentiles lord it over. And in our world, what he's saying is, and in our society, he's saying that this is the normal way we do things. Rulers lord over people. It's the normal way that a kingdom works. And not just kingdoms. I, you know, it's, it's, it's us. It's how jobs work, how bosses work, how families sometimes work, even how marriages sometimes work. How people sometimes work, and let me say, a lot of times, how churches seem to work. They lord it over, and their high officials exercise authority over them. In other words, they use what's at their disposal, even people, for their own benefit, then Jesus, man, he says, that's the normal way of life in our world. And if, if, if we're human, that's in our hearts and somewhere when it comes out in our authority, and our relationships, that's the normal way. And then Jesus says in the most simplest way that he possibly could, that that's not his kingdom. Look what he says in verse 26. Not so with you. That's how it happens in our world. That's normal. You look around, that's normal. Not so with you you. That's not my kingdom. That's not what my kingdom does. That's not what my kingdom is. That's not the culture of my kingdom. That's a very, very human drive that wants to build its own kingdom, but it's not mine. And if you're in my kingdom, if you're representing my kingdom, let me tell you what the culture of my kingdom looks like and feels like. And in verse 26 continues, he says this, Not so with you, instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. What's the culture of my kingdom? Serving. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. The culture of my kingdom is all about sacrificial serving. It's all about serving in a way that things are done not for my own benefit, but things are done for the benefit of others. That's the culture of God's kingdom, Jesus is saying. That's the culture of His kingdom. It's the opposite to what we want and what we do. And it goes against the, the natural human heart. That's the culture. Whoever wants to be first must be a slave. Whoever wants to be great must be servant. Verse 26. And then he explains the best example, just as the Son of Man, the king of this kingdom, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus explains that the biggest evidence of the culture of his kingdom is what he did, that the king himself, God, the greatest authority this universe has, chose not to be served. But to serve, and not just to serve, but to give his life literally on behalf of all mankind, that's what he did. That's the culture that's in his heart. That's how he does. It's not about himself. It's about everyone else in the way that he does it. And in saying that, Jesus makes it very, very, very clear that the culture of his kingdom is loving, self-sacrificing servanthood. The culture that should be emanating in his kingdom, that is emanating in his heart, is loving, self-sacrificing, servanthood. That self-serving is not the culture of his kingdom. That his kingdom is defined not by self. Even in his own words, what he did, it's not defined by self, but by doing things that make, or, or by doing things that make me look better, or by doing things that gain something for me. His kingdom is defined by doing things for the benefit of others. His kingdom is about others. Always, that's what it's about. And remember, this is in the context of James and John and their mom asking Jesus to use his power on their behalf to build their kingdom. So I think the story warns us, and, and, and gosh, this is so important for me. I think this is so important for all of us. The story warns us of this tricky and dangerous self-serving thing that's in our heart that will even attach itself to Jesus and create a self-serving allegiance to him that can grow in our hearts. No, Jesus makes it clear that his kingdom is about his kingdom not ours. Our kingdom is defined by self-centeredness. His kingdom is defined by others' centeredness. And he says, that's what my kingdom's about. And when we come to him, he's not going, cool, cool, bring your kingdom. No, he's going, your kingdom doesn't fit here. It doesn't fit here. And I, I don't know if you've seen this in your own heart. I certainly have. And my guess is that you've seen it in other people around you because sometimes Christians, like I said, go to God in order to build their own kingdom. And sometimes we, we kind of come and feel like if we follow Jesus, if we trust God, then he will build my kingdom. I pray, God, will you do this for me, for me, for me, and, and when I follow him, he'll build my kingdom. But Jesus is not about our little kingdoms because our little kingdoms are infected by self-centeredness. Jesus is about his kingdom because his kingdom is not infected by that. Now, don't get me wrong. When we come to Jesus, you know, wanting life, the best place in the universe for us is to surrender to him. I mean, the best possible thing we can do, life is found in there. Just think about what kind of king he is in this kingdom. He's giving. He he literally died for the good of all mankind even in his most Difficult time, he was thinking about others. What is it that you want, he said to them. Even from the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. It's incredible, that's who he is. So, so entering into his kingdom, living in his kingdom under that kind of king is the most beautiful, life-giving place you'll ever find because that's who he is. But the culture of his kingdom is not self-serving. It's self-sacrificing. That's the culture of his kingdom. And his kingdom is not about building our little self-serving kingdoms. It's about building a beautiful, self-sacrificing, loving, and serving kingdom that loves and serves others. That's what his kingdom is about. And Jesus didn't come, again, to build our kingdoms. He came to invite us into his, to leave the self-centered kingdom and enter into an others-oriented kingdom kingdom, because our kingdoms are self-centered, and His kingdom is others-centered. And, and I think, how does this play out? I think one of the major problems in the church, in our world today, one of the major things people bump into and don't want to engage in church is because sometimes we operate like James and John and their mom. We sometimes come and kneel before Jesus on Sundays, or kneel before Jesus, not in order to surrender to His kingdom, but in order to ask Him to do stuff for our kingdom, And I think when we're doing that as a church, what people feel when they bump into our church is not His kingdom. What they feel is the culture of our kingdom. And when we do that, what we portray to those outside the church, again, is not His selfless love and service. It's more the culture of ours, the selfish desire for us. What we portray is our little kingdoms. And listen, our little kingdoms are always self-centered. When I'm on the throne, it's always about me. And, and the bummer part about that, the difficult part about that is people outside the church are going, this is all about them. This is not about Jesus. This is not about others, this is about them. And when people bump into our little kingdoms disguised in his kingdom because we're kneeling down but we're asking for favors from God to build our kingdom, what people feel is that. And that's why people who come into contact with Christianity aren't tasting and experiencing the self-sacrificing love sometimes, but they're experiencing a self-centered, self-aggrandizing reality of modern religious Christianity. And I think it hurts the church, and I think that's why Jesus was so clear saying, not so with you. That's not who you are. That's not what you do. But Jesus, and this is so important, I think it's important to understand. I've spoken so much about our self-centered hearts and all that stuff as humans. Jesus, when he taught this, he understood our hearts. When James and John and their mom came, he wasn't like, I can't believe you. He said, what do you want? He knew their hearts. He understood that our human hearts are drawn to ourselves. He knew that there's something in us that wants to use God to build our kingdoms. He knew that. He sees my heart. He knows it's in all of us. And I'm so glad that the Bible included this event in scripture, because when I struggle with my self-centeredness, it's really nice to know that John, a dude who wrote the Bible, (laughs) also struggled with this. It's really awesome. And again, Jesus knew that about us and he knew this about our world, and I think that's why when he came, he came so opposite to how people were expecting. He's gonna build his kingdom. No, he died for everyone else. And he came not to build some grand kingdom. He came to offer a kingdom that was completely opposite to the self-centeredness of us. And built a selfless, self-sacrificing, loving, servant-hearted kingdom. That's what he came to do. That's what he came to do. And if you're a Christian, not only has he invited us to live under the benefit of his selflessness... And his love and his sacrifice, he has also called us to live that culture in our world, in our lives. John 13 verse 12 makes this clear. I mean, again, such an example of Jesus' selflessness. He's literally about to be crucified in like 24 hours. It's the night before he's about to be crucified and he chooses to wash his disciples' feet. (laughs) It's amazing when you think about who he is. And after he washes their feet in verse 12, John 13, 12, he says this, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Um, Do you understand what I've done for you, he said. Do you understand the significance of this? Do you get it? This is huge, guys. This is so different. Do you understand what I've done for you? Verse 13, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so. For that is who I am. Now that I, your Lord, again, kingdom language, your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Jesus clearly called us out of our self-oriented kingdom and the culture of our lives and kingdoms and into the selfless, loving, servanthood culture of his kingdom. As I have done for you, I want you to do for others. He said that I've set you this example, and I want you to do it. That's the culture of his kingdom, and he calls us to live it out. That's what he asks us to do. It's beautiful. It's incredible, and it's incredibly overwhelming. It's like, oh my gosh, really? Because I know my heart, and I've I've talked about our hearts, that we are self-motivated, self-centered. So Jesus says, I want you, I'm Jesus. I'm perfect. I want you to follow me, which <laughs> it brings up a huge question how on earth do we do that how do we do that because i know me and if he's perfect i know i'm imperfect how does an imperfect person follow a perfect example it's dangerous to even think about that i'm so self-centered and he's asking me to be completely others oriented how on earth do we do that How do we follow his example and live out this culture of the kingdom to serve others? The first thing I'd say to that is that certainly not in a moralistic way, because sometimes we approach Christianity in a moralistic way saying, well, he said it, I better do it, he was an example, I better follow that example, and that does not take into account the brokenness of my human nature. It doesn't take into account the imperfection of my human nature. No, we must approach his invitation, his challenge to serve others with the broad picture of what Christianity teaches, not just this one moral uh, requirement, not just this one example thing that he gives. We must approach it with a bigger picture of Christianity. Because just trying to decide to follow his example and serve and not addressing the brokenness in our own hearts, the self-centeredness of our own hearts will never work. That's why Jesus invites us out of our kingdom and into his, because our kingdom is defined by our brokenness and our self-centeredness. His kingdom is defined by security, by love, and by serving others. Because when we walk out of ours and we walk into his, Christianity teaches that a a miracle happens. We looked at this last week when we talked about how do we enter the kingdom. When we walk out of ours and we place our faith in him, not in ourselves anymore, When we do that, something happens and something is born inside of us. And Jesus actually addresses the brokenness of our human hearts and he gives us help. He gives us his heart as well. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says this, if anyone is in Christ, if we're in his kingdom, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. In other words, Christianity teaches that in Him, we have a new nature. His nature, His culture somehow enters our hearts when we trust Christ and we begin to be defined not just by our human nature, but by Him. We're no longer just self-centered. In some way, in some miraculous way, and I don't know how to fully explain this, but His nature enters us as well. So in some way, we're selfless. And selfish, kind of at the same time. He's put his selfless nature in us, meaning, and this is important, meaning that if you're a Christian, if you have placed your faith in him, if you're in his kingdom, if you're in Christ and you're a new creation, that if we live our lives only to serve ourselves, we'll never be satisfied. You know why? Because it's not who we are anymore. If we're someone who's placed our faith in him. It's not who we are. Our new nature, our new culture is to serve. That's who we are. And it's not a rule or a requirement. If we think about it like that moralistically, then what we'll think is in order to be in his kingdom, I have to serve. But that's approaching God. That's approaching his kingdom improperly. And I thought that. I lived that for so many years. I thought that in order to be in his kingdom, I must serve. In order to please him, I must serve. And I did that all the time. Because he said, I left you the example, do what I left you to do. And so I approached God with a servant mentality. What's a servant mentality? A servant mentality means this, that I serve in order to be paid. I serve in order to get a wage. I serve in order to earn my keep, in order to stay. And when I stop serving, I'm no longer valuable. That's a servant mentality. And when Jesus says, I want you to serve, sometimes we jump into servant mentality saying, well, I better serve, otherwise I'm not valuable. Otherwise I can't be here. Otherwise I don't earn a wage. But Jesus is not talking about a servant mentality. It's not a job. It's not an earn your wage thing. In fact, Jesus never called us servants. In John 15, 15, here's what he said, I no longer call you servants. Because a servant does not know the master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. I think he said this. Because when we serve from a servant mentality, we serve in order to earn wages. But when a friend serves, he does it. She does it because of the relationship. I call you servants. Not no longer. I call you friends. And what Jesus taught goes so much more than just friends. He called us children. Children don't serve to earn their keep. If they stop serving, they're out. That's not what children do. And Jesus Said so that we're children, John 1 verse 12 says that when we've placed our faith in Him, we are born into His kingdom, not as servants, not even as friends, but as sons and daughters. John 1 verse 12 says this, to those who believed in my name, He gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent with only our self-centered human nature, but born, nor of human decision, but born of God with a new nature and a new culture. And here's the cool thing. As sons and daughters, we don't have to earn our keep. That's the kingdom of God. We don't have to earn our keep. We don't have to serve in order to stay. We are sons and daughters of the king. That's who we are. We are in. And service isn't to prove anything or to earn anything, but it is our culture and it is our Nature And I just love that, because that changed something in my life when I realized I'm not serving from a servant mentality, that if I don't do it, I don't earn my keep. I'm serving from a son mentality. And what I've discovered is that as a son, I want to serve so much more than when I just served as a servant. Because you know why? Because it's who I am, and also because it's my father's kingdom. It's not my boss's kingdom. How much would you wanna do for your boss's kingdom? No, if it's your father's kingdom, in some way it's your kingdom. Not your little, minuscule, self-centered kingdom, but it's, it's his kingdom and when I'm serving him as a son, I'm serving my kingdom because I'm part of him and I'm in, it changes everything and it changes. I'm more passionate serving as a son than I am serving as a servant. If I have to serve as a servant to earn my keep and to keep my stay there, it doesn't work. But if I'm serving as a son who he has put his nature in and his heart in, it's incredible. I'm more passionate in doing that because this is who I am. He's put his spirit, his heart in me. And as a Christian, as a son of God, as a citizen of his kingdom, serving myself no longer feels right. It no longer feels like it's who I am because he has served me so much. And I'm taken care of. The king of the universe is taking care of me. And now there's something in my heart that longs to serve others and not just myself. Now, having said that, I also just wanna say that my kingdom tries to rear its ugly head every single day in my life. When I wake up, it's like, what am I gonna do for me? <laughs> every day, it's there as well. There's, there's this reality that, that every day, My selfish humanness comes out again. But when I realize who I am, when we realize who we are and what He's done for us as sons and daughters of the King, we realize that not only do we, yes, carry the self-centeredness with us wherever we go, but we also carry the culture of His kingdom in us it becomes, and when we realize that, it becomes more natural to want to serve God's kingdom and to want to serve others, not just ourselves and not just our own kingdom. I think this kingdom thing is so important to understand. I mean, the reality that if you are a Christian, there are two kingdoms hidden in your heart, yours and his. And one of those calls us to focus only on ourselves and the other one calls us to selflessly serve Others, but there are two kingdoms stuck in our heart. And while it seems counterintuitive to us, life is not found when we're fighting for our own life. Life is found when we surrender to a king who has fought for our life and continues to fight for our lives. Here's the thing, though. I think, like I said, this dynamic plays itself out in our churches all the time. When it's about our kingdom... In church, people feel it. Sometimes people feel that a church is just trying to get something out of them to attend or to give or to join, and and it feels like they're just a project or a goal. But when we realize we're not living for our own kingdoms, when we realize I'm not trying to find a seat of authority, when we realize we're not living for my kingdom, when we realize we're not even living for Rock Point Kingdom, but we're living for the kingdom of God, Then what happens is when people come into contact with who we are, what they feel is more authentic, more real, more loving, more unconditional, no-strings-attached type servanthood because we're doing what we do to serve a Father who loves us. We're doing what we do because it's just who we are. It's the culture of His kingdom that we're living in, and it's a part of our new heart, the heart that He has given us. Life in my kingdom is defined by me and wanting to be served by others, including God. Life in his kingdom is defined by him and loving and serving him and others. And life is found there. The question, the question then that we need to ask ourselves is this, whose kingdom am I living in? If you're a Christian, the crazy thing, and I know this is crazy, you have two kingdoms in your heart. The question is, whose kingdom are you living in? Whose kingdom are you fighting for? Because again, the culture of my kingdom is self centeredness. The culture of his kingdom is loving, selfless service. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing that he's done. And he portrayed that so well. The king, if Christianity is true, the king of the universe showed up and served and washed feet and died. What a culture! It's shocking. It's amazing. And then he calls us. He says, hey, if you come and live in my kingdom, I'll give you my heart. I'll give you my spirit. I'll make you and have the culture of my kingdom. And then I want you to go live that. Go be that. It changed the world. And it will continue to change the world. That's the culture of his kingdom. It's a beautiful thing. So I said I'm going to come back and get really practical. Um, And that's what I want to do now. If this is the culture of His kingdom, and if we as Christians are living in His kingdom, and if you're here and you're not a Christian, my guess is you're going, I love this. (laughs) I wish Christians looked more like Jesus. That would be amazing. But if you're a Christian, He's called us into His kingdom, into the culture of His kingdom to live this out. And I want to mention three areas where I think we need to live this out. Personally, firstly. Secondly, in our community. And thirdly, in ministry. I think we need to live those out. So personally, let me ask a few questions. How do we live this out personally? In your family, in my family, in our families, with our spouses, with our kids, with our friends, at work, at school, in our relationships, wherever we go do our everyday life. Here's a question. Do I serve others or do I want them to serve me in my kingdom? And sometimes it's sneaky because sometimes I do something for you and go, Whose kingdom am I serving? Do I serve others in order for them to see me serving? Do I serve others wanting to be acknowledged or paid back in some way? When I do that, that's servant mentality serving. That's serving in order to be paid a wage. That's not son or daughter serving. So the question, do I serve others in my normal everyday life and how do I serve? With the culture of his kingdom or mine? For him, and others or for me personally am i living the culture of his kingdom wherever i go secondly in our community well, you know jesus clearly calls us to go and serve and love our community and this is why love chattanooga is such a massive part of our church because it's a way of serving our community with no strings attached Sometimes churches and sometimes we, we as a church, could get so focused on what's happening here and are we doing this and what's happening in our building. And Love Chattanooga is a way that helps us not be self-centered and keeps us serving others for their benefit and not ours. Others who can't and will never repay us. And so this is a massive part of who we are as a church and why we have partners and why we serve and give money to organizations who can't pay us back because we want to serve His kingdom, not ours, not Rock Points. We want to serve His kingdom. We want to live out the culture of His kingdom. So this personally, am I living this out in in our community? Are we living this out in some way? This is how we do it as a church. And then thirdly, ministry. As a Christian, this is something that God has called us to, to serve others and help them know Him. And here at our church, I mean, on Sundays, people are showing up every week, teenagers, kids, little babies, adults are showing up every week. And we want to do everything we can to serve them well and to continue to create a safe community where anyone, no matter where they're coming from, can discover, develop, and deepen a relationship with Jesus, that's our mission, but here's what's true. We can't do that with just a few people. It takes a bunch of people to do that. And so the serving culture is a massive part of what happens here on Sundays and what happens in our church. And and I'm sure you've seen them, people with T-shirts walking around the building, looking after kids, looking after teenagers, discipling, loving, helping, creating safe spaces for all of them, Uh, guest services members. You've seen them, these people who are holding this culture in their heart and serving others. It's beautiful. So, Here's the practical invitation and challenge that I said I would come to. As Christians, we're called to live in the culture of his kingdom in our everyday life. So let me ask you, are you doing that in your personal life, where you live? As a Christian, it's who you are. It's not something I've got to do to earn my wage. No, 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 no. If you're a Christian, if you're in his kingdom, he's put his heart in you. It's who you are. So are you doing that in your personal life? With your, with your husband, with your wife, if you were to ask them, am I serving? Ah. <laughs> with our kids, with our friends, are we doing that in our personal lives? Are you doing that in some way in our community? And are you doing that in some way in ministry? Are you doing that? Are you living out his kingdom, the culture of his kingdom, in a loving, sacrificing way of serving others? Jesus said, that's the culture of my kingdom. When people come into contact with People in my kingdom, that's what they should feel. And 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 let me kind of end by saying this, that I can't we can't control or, or help really with your personal life. That's an area where you've got to live and do at work and at school and neighborhood. We can't do that. But the other two areas in terms of community and ministry, we have ways to, if if you're not engaged in any way, there are ways to engage with us. We've got a serve list for, for, for Love Chattanooga. We're doing things the whole time in the community. And if you don't have a place where you're serving in the community, that's a wonderful opportunity for you to dive in. And then in ministry... Um, we, we have opportunities for you. If you wanna dive in and be a part of what's happening here at Rock Point, if you see yourself as a part of Rock Point and you wanna serve others in ministry and help be a safe community for them, we have space for that to happen. Now, just to be clear, I never ever want this to feel like we're pressuring you. Oh, he did the sermon about you know, serving and now he's, ah, uh, that's why. No, that's not why. This is the culture of his kingdom. This is who we are as Christians. This is what he's called us to. And if you're not doing that, you're missing out on something in your life. And so we do have, yes, of course we need people. Yes, of course we need this space. There are opportunities. There are opportunities in production. There are opportunities with students, middle and high school. There are opportunities with kids. There are opportunities on guest services for people to dive in and serve here and fulfill some of the stuff inside of us that Jesus made us and called us to live out this culture of the kingdom. But there's no pressure. Remember, we don't have a servant mentality. You don't have to earn your keep. But we are sons and daughters, and he's called us to serve. So there is an opportunity here at church for you to dive in if you would like to. And, and we wanted to make it as simple as possible for you to do that. So in a minute, we're going to, well, actually, I'll put the link up now. <clears throat> There's a link that if you want to jump in and serve here at Rock Point in some way and help with the ministry, there's a quick short form on that that you can fill out. You can say where you want to engage in production or guest services or kids or or teenagers, middle and high school ministry. You can totally do that. And then you're not signing up for anything. You're not going, if they have my details, oh, no, what's going to happen? None of that. What you're doing is saying, I'm interested to know a little more, and then a staff person will connect with you, and and ask questions, and you can ask questions and see if there's a good fit or a way to do it. We also want to do our best to set people up for success who are serving. Um, We'll train you. We'll we'll provide you a a way to do this with others who are doing an incredible job. In fact, that's one of the coolest things about doing this because you connect with others. Um, If you have kids and you're worried, okay, what will my kids do? Well, we have childcare for them. It's also one of the reasons we have two services every Sunday so people can serve one and attend another. We wanna make it as simple as possible. So the question I asked is, are you living out the culture of his kingdom? Loving, sacrificial servanthood. Are you living that out in your personal life? Because that's what Jesus clearly called us to do. Are you living it out in our community? And are you living it out in ministry in some way? And if you are interested to figure out how do I engage That's the form that you can figure, you can can connect with us and we can have questions and and, and answer those questions and do that. Um, I'm gonna pray for us in a minute and then afterwards, I'm gonna put a QR code up there as well that you can just scan and it'll take you straight to that and outside, Justin Park and Jeremy will be at a table to answer any questions if you'd like to dive in. But again, again, this is not me going, hey, you're supposed to do this so you better do it here. I don't know what's in your life right now. I don't know what's happening. I don't know where you're serving. What I do know is this is the culture of the kingdom. I do know that this is who we wanna be as a church. Not serving our kingdom, not serving the kingdom of Rock Point, but serving the kingdom of God. And part of that, part of that is living this culture out. So that's what we wanna do. And that's why there's an opportunity if you wanna dive in for you to do that too. But are you living the culture of his kingdom personally, in your community, and in ministry? Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you so much that you loved the world so much that you gave your only son. And Jesus, you came not to be served, but to serve. And you, In doing that, you changed the world and you created a kingdom that you've invited us into that's not defined by, by self, but it's defined by love and security and serving. And self-sacrificing, it's incredible. And in doing that, you've also made us new creations who are also then impacted by that and changed by that. And Father, I pray that you would help us as a church exhibit this culture and never be pulled aside by our own self-centered culture, but exhibit this culture of service and love and sacrifice for others here in this building and in our community. Father, thank you for what you've done and would you help us to dive in to what you've called us to and what you've made us to do. I pray that in Jesus' name, amen.